the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's the one thing today. God wants you to live beyond your wildest dreams. He wants you to live according to his dreams. But the only way you're going to live according to the dream that God has for you is to have the mind of Christ. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. That was really the message of a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, to a group of Christians, Christ's followers, at a church uh, called Corinth, in a city called Corinth, many, many years ago. He was writing to messed up people in a messed up world, and they all needed the same thing. They needed the message of the gospel. They needed the power of the cross as it's found in Jesus Christ. Paul was saying to them, get your focus off of yourself and off of your messed up world world and get your focus back on Jesus and what he can do for you and how he changes everything. Why? Because only Jesus and only the message of the cross is what can help us in this world. In fact, we said there's a general principle that he's going to talk about throughout First Corinthians, this letter that he wrote to these Christians, he's going to talk about how your connectivity with God forms your identity in Christ, which fuels your activity for his glory. So your connectivity with God, that comes as a result of a relationship through Jesus Christ. So being connected to God forms your identity. I've got on my, uh, my, my national championship shirt today. I bought this. It's brand new. It's the first time I've ever worn it. I bought this for... The national championship. Um, it didn't quite work out like I had hoped. I, I identify with the, the Clemson Tigers, and they didn't quite make it to that game, and, and so they didn't win the, the national championship. And so as we go through life, there's a lot of things we identify with. We identify with sports teams. Some of you are, how about the Vikings and that miracle play last week? Good night. Some of you identify with different sports teams. You may identify with your career path. You may identify uh, with your bank account. You find your identity in how you do with the hobbies you have, or, or you find your identity in the clothes you wear. As Christ's followers, we can identify with a lot of things, but our identity has to be in Christ. Because if our connectivity with God does not form our identity in Christ, then our activity is going to be all messed up and we're going to have a messed up life. And that's what was happening in Corinth. Paul was saying to them, hey, your relationship has gotten messed up. Your connectivity is off kilter. So your identity, you're forgetting who you are. You're, you're not finding your identity in Christ. And so your activity is a mess and you're not living for your good. And you're certainly not living for God's glory. And some of you 
That's your messed up life today. That's where you are. And the good news is you've come to a great place because we're all in this together. We all need the message of the gospel of what's found in the power of the cross. And that's what we dealt with last week, that, that message of the cross. In fact, we said we all long for two things. Think about it. If you could sum up what we long for in life, it really comes down to two things. I just wish I knew more. And I just wish I could do more. And so we want more power and we want more knowledge or more wisdom. And we spend so much of our life trying to gain that. And that's, that's the rat race. That's the treadmill that we get on, just trying to know more, trying to do more. And those aren't bad things because if I do a lot, I have an opportunity to do a lot. Remember, if I'm finding my connectivity in God and my identity is in Christ, my activity is for his glory. So I'm doing things for God. That's a good thing. And let me just tell you, and students, listen to this. Knowledge is a good thing. It is a pet peeve of my that means I don't like it. When Christ followers downplay the importance of knowledge. In fact, as a Christ follower, you should seek to, to use your mind to the best of your ability. You don't have to be as smart as your sibling or as smart as your classmate, but you do need to be as smart as God created you to be. You should be, as a Christ follower, in your pursuit of academics and your pursuit of intelligence, you, you should be at the top because you're doing that for his glory. So, so don't ever downplay that pursuit of knowledge. In fact, I love Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher. He once said, Christ doesn't destroy reasons. He, dis he dethrones it. So, so Christ doesn't mean that knowledge and wisdom and reason aren't important. He just says he's preeminent. He's, he's more than any of that. So last week, though, we learned that if you spend your life and that's your pursuit, just more knowledge, what you can know, and more power, what you're going to do, you're always going to come up empty because the knowledge and the wisdom of this world and all the power of this world is just not enough. And that's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul was saying, hey, you've got to come to the place where you understand no matter who you are in that long list of the different paths we come from, no matter where you are, you need the same thing. You need what Jesus did on the cross. Because the cross is true wisdom. It comes to us and causes us to acknowledge the human limitations of our intellect and of our power. And we humble ourselves before an all-knowing and an almighty God. When I come to the cross, I have no choice but to kneel. And I realize <laughs> I can't do this on my own. And when we conclude this time in just a few minutes... I'm going to ask the question, have you had that kneeling moment? Have you had the time where you recognize, I, I can't do this on my own? Where you've realized your inadequacy and you've humbled yourself before an all-knowing and an almighty God. And if you haven't, you need to do that because we learned last week, I love this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us, need just as much Jesus as everyone else. That's why if I'm connected with God and my identity is in Christ, I cannot look at another person in a negative way. I can't. 
I can't be a bigot. I can't be a racist. I, I, I can't think that somebody else is not as valuable or worth as much of me because of their so- socioeconomic class or because of which side of the tracks they were born on or because of their skin color. I can't do that if I'm connected to Christ to, and my identity is in him. Because if I am, I realize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So Paul in verse 2 of chapter 2 says, so I decided I'm going to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, sometimes I like to simplify things. And let me just tell you, if you really want to break it down and make it real easy and straightforward today, you want a recipe for a good day, just begin every day with this prayer. Lord Jesus, I determine today more than anything else to know nothing but you and you crucified. I'm going to relish, I'm going to focus, I'm going to think about, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to rest in the message of the cross. That apart from you, I can do nothing. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all things are possible for me. So, now Paul's going to talk about the benefits of doing that. What does your life look like if you determine to know Christ? Now, remember what this letter is about. It's my messed up life. It's their messed up lives. So in chapter 3, he's going to begin to deal with how they're fighting with one another. In chapter 4, he's going to deal with this guy who's shacked up with his stepmother. We call that incest. And uh, he goes on. He's going to talk about these folks that are saying how much sex should we have in marriage. These other folks that say, is it okay to be divorced? He's going to deal with these people who came to the Lord's Supper, but they got drunk. And this other lady that she kind of overate at the Lord's Supper. I mean, he's dealing with all kinds of problems in the church. But before he gets to there, he says, let me tell you what it looks like if you know Christ. So look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Yet... Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's why I would just challenge you, if you're a Christ follower, don't don't ever satisfy yourself to be in a setting where where you're just getting placated in in the teaching that you experience from God's word. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should desire to know everything about him and his word that you possibly can. You want to grow. So we do desire to impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God. What? Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of another except the spirit of God. Now let me stop right there, because that's one of those sentences in the Bible that you just say, what did he just say? Here's what it does. Think about and answer this question. Who knows you like you? Somebody answer that. Nobody. There's only one right answer to that. Nobody knows you like you. If you're married, your spouse, I don't care how long it's been, they know you well. They don't know you like you. Why? Because they're not in your mind. I'm glad nobody's in my mind. That's a scary place. 
The only way you know another person like they know another person or like they know themselves is to be in their mind. So what he's saying is you can't know God like God knows himself because you're not in his mind, right? You don't have the depths of God for who knows a person except the spirit of the person which is in him. So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But listen to this. Now we've not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then we're going, we're going to go over the verses that I'm bypassing right now, but the key verse, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do you know another person? You get inside their mind. How do you know God? You have his mind. Guess what? If you are a child of God, the Bible says you have access to the mind of God. It's called the mind of Christ. So this is a one-point message. Here's what I want you to get. God wants you to experience a life that's beyond your wildest dreams. He wants you to experience his dreams for your life. But you only do that if you understand the mind of Christ. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I hope you're taking notes. You should take your pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola. Write that truth down. That's the one thing today. God wants you to live beyond your wildest dreams. He wants you to live according to his dreams. But the only way you're going to live according to the dream that God has for you is to have the mind of Christ. That's what verse 9 is talking about. It's a compilation of several verses, but primarily Isaiah 64.4. Listen to it again. But it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What is that talking about? It's, it's not a reference to the glories that are unseen of heaven. It's not a reference to just the sweet by and by. It's good to talk about heaven. I'm thankful for heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But you can be so focused on heaven, so heavenly minded that you're not earthly good. And what he's talking about is what we experience on this side of heaven. And he's saying on this side of heaven, you have the opportunity, not for the unseen glories in, but for the untapped, the undiscovered potentials and possibilities that God has for you right now. It reminds us of Jeremiah 29, 11, another verse written to a specific group of people with a specific context, but that says this, for we know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
God is saying, there are things I have planned for you that you've not yet discovered, things that you've not seen, things that you've not heard, things that you've not even imagined. And the only way you're going to get those is if you tap into me through the mind of Christ. Students, that should be encouraging to you at this stage of life where you're thinking about, who am I going to marry? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? What's my life going to look like? God knows the plans he has for you, even though you haven't seen them yet, even though you haven't heard them yet, even though you haven't imagined them yet. But guess what? That's still true for senior adults and everybody in between. That's the kind of God we serve. So how do we experience that? How do we know what it looks like to have the mind of Christ? Years ago, a guy by the name of T.W. Hunt wrote this book, The Mind of Christ. I've always loved this book, and I was with him one time, and, and so he wrote an inscription to me, and he, he referenced some passages uh, about the mind of Christ. He wrote this book really about Philippians 2. I love Philippians 2 because Paul in Philippians 2, he's saying, hey, if you're going to have an attitude, if, if you're going to get something in your mind of how you're going to act, get this, have the mind of Christ. Listen to it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul was saying, hey, if you want to have an attitude, have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was that he didn't make it about himself. He humbled himself, even though he was God. He came to earth. He was a fleshly man, and then he died on the cross. That's the mind of Christ. Well, Dr. Hunt, he, he takes, he takes that passage and he, he gives us some characteristics of the mind of Christ. And I, I just want you to, to take these and you might just write down these adjectives because these are adjectives that illustrate what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about each of these adjectives. And so the adjective is what it looks like if you have the mind of Christ. The questions are helping you determine, am I living according to the mind of Christ? For example, the first one is alive. Now, I'm not talking about physically alive. You're physically alive. That's good news. I'm talking about being spiritually alive. If I have the mind of Christ, I'm spiritually alive. How do I know that? Well, does my conscience quickly respond to the Holy Spirit when he speaks? So when God's Spirit says something to me and I sense it in my conscience, do I quickly respond to it? Do I become more conscious of God as the day goes by? So as I'm spending my day, am I thinking about God? If I'm never thinking about God, I'm not alive to God. So in that area, I'm not having the mind of Christ. Let me give you another one. Peaceful peaceful? Do I have the joy and peace of God? And does that replace fleshly joy and mental conflict in my life? So in other words, am I a constant worrier? Am I constantly thinking about what I don't have? Am I constantly uh, dealing with unhappiness? Do I accept the circumstances of life as a tool of God? You see, if I'm walking peacefully, then when I go through things that are difficult, I just begin to say, God, what are you up to? How do you want to be glorified in this? What do you want me to get out of this classroom stage of my life? If not, I'm always thinking God's just out to get me. He's trying to kill me. Am I single-minded? Single-minded. Do I always consult the Lord when I'm making a decision? Am I learning new things about the Lord that strengthen and confirm the earlier things I've learned? Am I, am I at a different place in my faith journey today than when I first began a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
The problem, the sickness, the reason that so many churches across this land are dying is because we made it about walking across the finish line when I raise my hand or I pray a prayer and I begin a relationship with Christ. And so, so many of us grew up in a setting where we were content with, hey, I've got a relationship with Jesus and I go to church and we don't think about how am I being conformed into his image? How am I growing? How do I look differently? Lowly. Am I lowly? That's another one. If, I'm, if I have the mind of Christ, I'm lowly. Remember, he humbled himself. Am I growing more humble before God and others? That should be a natural stage of life. I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I recognize what I don't know. I wish I knew what I thought I knew when I was 22. Hello. Am I growing less ambitious for self and more ambitious for God's kingdom? Now, just think about that, you who are retirees. When I get to that stage of life, am I saying, oh, I finally arrived. Now I can focus on me. Or am I saying, God, thank you for letting me to spend my life getting to this point. Now I want to spend the rest of it investing in your glory. Pure. Do I interpret my circumstances with the understanding that God is always with me? Do I see God working every day and recognize his hand at work in me? And then responsive. I love this one. Am I growing in my thirst for God? Am I growing in my faith for God? Do I respond immediately when God speaks to me? Do I spend time in prayer daily? Do I read and memorize the scriptures? See, if these words don't represent you, if you can't answer those questions affirmatively, then I would just say to you, you're not living with the mind of Christ. And in this messed up world, if you don't have the mind of Christ, you're in a real, real mess. So how do I live with the mind of Christ? How do I make sure I have that? Well, Paul deals with that in the verses that we read. First, we've got to recognize the inadequacy of our natural mind. We have to recognize the inadequacy of our natural mind. Say that word with me. Say natural. Listen to verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man. Some of your translations say for that word, the spiritual man. But the better word is the natural man because it's referring to who we are apart from God. Apart from God, I'm nothing but a natural person. The only other time in the New Testament this is used is in Jude 19. In this little book of Jude, in the 19th verse, it says this, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, and that word worldly is the same world that's translated natural or spiritual or unspiritual. So it's worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So if I don't have the Spirit of God in me, I'm the natural man. So now let's go way back to the beginning and think about how God created us. Remember how God created you. God created you to represent him by living responsibly for him and walking in right relationship with him. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve to represent him. God created man in his what? image. We are image bearers. So you were created to bear the image of God by representing him in this world. You do that 
by living responsibly. There's certain things he wants you to do that let others say, hey, that's one of God's. And so in Antioch, those who followed Christ were first called Christians. They were like the little Jesuses. They were the little Christ because they looked like Jesus, because they were living responsibly. How in the world they did, did they do that? They did that because they were walking in right relationship with him. If any of that breaks down, you're in a mess and you've got a messed up life. If you're not walking in right relationship with him, guess what? You're not going to live responsibly and you're not representing him well. And some of you today, your life is messed up because you're not in right relationship with God. Remember, your vertical relationship's not right. And so your horizontal relationships are in trouble. You're not in right relationship with God. You're not living responsibly. Your activities, your actions, your attitudes, they don't represent him. And, and, And so as a result... You look like what the Bible calls the natural person. Everything is affected if I'm in that natural man. It messes with the way I think about everything. And so the first step to having the mind of Christ is discovering, am I still living in the natural man or am I living supernaturally by the grace of Jesus? Have I recognized the inadequacy of my natural mind? So let me ask that another way. But you can just write this down and take it with you. Do you know what you don't know? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. 